your Bibles, if you would, this evening, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 tonight. We're halfway through the book, believe it or not, and it's been a blessing to me. Hope it's been encouragement to you as well as we've been studying through these things. Praise God for what He has taught us and what He will teach us. But Ecclesiastes chapter 6 this evening, as we look at the first six verses or so of Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun is common among men, a man to whom God given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity and is an evil disease. If a man beget a hundred children, and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and the soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial. I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he that cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness, his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, Though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath seen no good. Do not all go to one place? Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your wonderful word. I pray, God, you'd help us to understand the things that are, that are written therein. I pray, God, you give me the words to say, Lord, give me what you'd have me to say to your people this evening. I pray that you would bless in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard about a race recently in India. This race was a little bit different than most races. This race, of course, in most races, you line up, you try to get to the predetermined place as fast as possible in the quickest amount of time and the distance you've been given. But this race, instead of trying to get as far as you go, you try to get as, as, as short a distance as possible in the amount of time given. They're trying to go, who can see who can be, go the shortest distance in the allotted time. And so you have these people on bicycles, and they have a couple rules. If you touch the ground, you're out. If you fall down, you're out. So people are lined out on both sides of this raceway, yelling and cheering for the person who goes the slowest. That's a little bit different type of race, isn't it? Now imagine somebody from America or someone else going over there and seeing all these people and seeing all these bicycles lined up and thinking to themselves, hey, I want to be in the race too. Surely I can come over here and win a race. You know, somebody who maybe does well at cycling over here. And they get on their bike and, every, and, the, and, the, and the guy shoots the, the pistol and, and everybody gets ready to go and he just goes fast as he can. And he looks behind him and nobody's there. And he's thinking to himself, what in the world's going on? I must really be good. But he, he, he goes so far and he gets to a place and probably there's nobody there because the crowd's all back there cheering on the slow folks. And he recognizes that he has lost the race. What is the problem? He didn't follow the rules. He didn't follow the rules. And that's what's happening here in this, in this several verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. 
we read about this race these, these men are in, the race of life, and we're all in a race of life. And oftentimes we go to our own pace or to the pace of others and not to the pace where God wants us to go. So we're looking at two different contestants tonight in this race of life. The first contestant that we see, the Bible, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 1, there's an evil which I've seen under the sun, it's among the, among the men. And we see this racer, the contestant number one, it says, The man to whom God hath given riches and wealth and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. So we interest, interesting about this man, we, we have a threefold description of this guy. He is told he has wealth or riches, which can refer to gold or silver or flocks or herds or houses. We also see he has possessions, which is the word for wealth, which is a, actually a different word, Hebrew word from riches. This means not only does he have things, he has stockpiles of things. He has much things. He has, he has uh, barns. He has houses full of things. And not only does he have stuff and more stuff, he has honor above that. Solomon says that this man has honor, which refer, refers to fame or splendor. So he has all these type of, uh, type of things. And we recognize this person, contestant number one. But the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 17, that all gifts that we have in life comes from the Father. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of light, to whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So this person has all these possessions. The only problem with it is he actually, he actually doesn't do anything with it. It actually is vanity with him. He's like the guy that we talked about last year who, you know, last week, that gets the Christmas presents. And I'm sure this has happened to you. You have all your Christmas presents, but you forgot to get the batteries. And so you have the stuff, but you, you don't have the batteries and that's exactly what happens to him he says in verse chapter 6 verse 2 yet God does not give him power to enjoy them but a stranger enjoys them this is vanity and it's an evil disease so this first contestant starts the race he has much stuff he has great wealth he has many things the problem is he can't enjoy the things that he's been given and so it's it's frustrating for him and he almost, as you read about this guy who has wealth and possessions and honor, you think about the fact that this could be like Solomon himself. Remember, this is kind of what he was like. Remember we talked about the very first time that we talked about Ecclesiastes, the background of Solomon, how in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, uh, in verse 11 and 12, God comes to Solomon and basically says to him, what do you want? And Solomon could have asked for riches. He could have asked for Many more, he could ask for things, he could ask for titles, he could ask for lands. But instead of that, wisely, Solomon asked for an understanding heart. Of course, God gave him an understanding heart, but more than that, he gave him wealth, he gave him power, he gave him lands, he gave him stuff. And so this is kind of what Solomon is, but of course, at this point, as we well know, Solomon gave his life his love to instead of to God, which he should have done, he gave it to many strange women. And ultimately, as we read in the scriptures, took his heart, took his love away from God, and ultimately his king, kingdom was divided and his land was destroyed because of, because of his sin. 
So Solomon now, at the end of his life, looks back and says, I, I had all these possessions, I had, I had all these things, but even though I've had wealth, even though I have great possessions, I've come to the end of my life and I can't even enjoy them. Isn't that a sad commentary? And I've met people like that, and I'm sure Pastor Boucher has done the same thing. Down in southwest Florida, we've got to, we got to meet a lot of wealthy people who lived by the water. And they had stuff. And they can name drop. He and I could probably talk about people we know. that They knew this person and this person and this person and this person. They could just tell you over and over who they knew. But we knew by talking to them, they were really miserable. Some of these guys would have to take downers at night to go to sleep. And they would have to take uppers during the day to stay awake. Their home life was a horror. Now, outwardly, if you'd look at them and you see them in church, you would think everything's okay. Well, wife and kids, and man, they have a fancy house, and oh, they drive the nicest car, and, and they talk about vacations they go to, and on the outs, outside, it looked just wonderful, but pull back the veneer just a little bit, and you see the destruction of their homes. And ultimately, it would come out in horror, tragedy, bad decisions. It was, it was terrible. And this is what happens to this man. Seemingly, he has a lots of stuff, but the stuff doesn't do anything for him. Now, Solomon, of course, doesn't tell us who this stranger is. It could be a thief, could be a ruler, could be a broker, could be a king, could be someone else. But whoever this person is, they have lots of things, but they really can't enjoy it. I wonder tonight how Bill Gates sleeps. I wonder how Jeff Bezos sleeps. I wonder how... Have Warren Buffett sleep at night. I wonder if they have to take medication to sleep at night. I wonder if they're always having to wonder, who's going to take my stuff? Who's going to come after me? I wonder how many security guards, I wonder what type of a security system they actually have to have in their home, Brother Pete. I wonder what gizmos and gadgets they have to have to protect their wealth. I wonder if, you would, if they were really honest with you, I wonder if they're really happy. I wonder if they don't think about the people they've had to step on and hurt to get where they are today. I bet they probably are on some type of medication to help them sleep at night. A lot of people are like that. They can't sleep at night. You know, a clear conscience is a soft pillow. That's one of the most important things in life is going to sleep every night, not having to think about who you betrayed or who you stole, or who you stabbed in the back to go up that ladder to get more junk, then eventually when you die, somebody's going to give it to Goodwill, they're going to be using it themselves. Isn't that sad? Someone wrote this poem, Money can buy a pillow, but not peace. Money can buy entertainment, but not satisfaction. Money can buy food, but not an appetite. Money can buy a house, but not a home. Money can buy status, but not salvation. Money can buy a passport to the world, but not to heaven. It is a truism. Money cannot buy happiness. But the, but the world goes after it, doesn't it? And again, there's nothing wrong with having money. The problem is when money has you. That's the problem, when money has you. 
That's contestant number one. What about contestant number two? Contestant number three, if a man beget a hundred children and live many years so that his days of his years be many and his soul be filled with good. The first person has lots of stuff, has lots of things, has wealth, possessions, and honor. He's looked at as a respectable person, but the second person doesn't have a whole lot of stuff. He has a whole lot of kids, a hundred kids. No, of course, I believe that Solomon is using hyperbole here and exaggerating a little bit on how many kids uh, this person actually has. But he has a lot. And, of course, we know from scriptures, think about several times from scriptures like the life of Sarah who didn't have a child. And, and Abraham and Sarah waited for that child many years before they had Isaac and how much they wanted a child. Hannah, of course, and Samuel wanted a child. And to a Jew especially, the, the desire of them to have a family which could possess the land is something very important to a Jewish person. So to have many children, people from the outside would say, well, this person, you know, he probably maybe doesn't have a whole lot of money because he's spending some money on some diapers, right? He doesn't have a lot of, a lot of excess. He's probably having to have a school bus. He's instead of a, you know, in a minivan to carry all the kids in. So he doesn't have a lot of extra, but his life is filled with joy because he has lots of kids in his life. That's what, that's what we would think from the outside. Man, this guy has to be filled because, you know, the proverb, you know, having your quiver full has to be a wonderful thing. And the Bible says, that if a man beget a hundred children live many years, so the days of years be many. His soul, his soul be not filled with good. Interesting here, this, this word here for soul is a reference to his inner life, his heart, his true feeling, his true inclination, his true entrance, a way truly enjoyed. In other words, he has an unredeemed, unconverted, pollute, polluted, sinful soul. There's no goodness in his soul, is one commentary. Second century commentary says there's no goodness in his soul. The word good in Hebrew is, a, is appropriate, meaning beautiful, fitting, precious, and valuable. Even though he had all these children and outwardly things, surely they'll be happy with all these kids. He had no goodness in his soul. He's not happy, even with all these kids in his life. He's not thankful for them. He's not grateful for them. He's not helping them. He's not discipling them. He's not there for them. They're more like a showpiece. Oh, look at all my kids that we've had. So we must be blessed. God must be blessing us because we have all these kids. But that's not the case. It's not the case. You go on in verse 3. Also, he that hath no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in vanity and departeth in darkness. His name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor, nor known anything that this, that this hath more rest than the other. Solomon is contrasting a baby who dies in the womb with the death of a man who has a hundred ch children, and he concludes that a stillborn baby is better off than a man who's lived a long life and there's no goodness in his soul. Why is that? You say, he's comparing a, a stillborn child with a man who has a great family, but he's no goodness in his soul because we know the, the silver lining 
even in when someone who's born, still stillborn child, or even in abortion, as what we believe, and I've taught this, that when a baby dies, we believe that child will be in heaven. And we get that primarily from, remember the time when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, had had Uriah the Hittite killed, and there, from their adulterous relationship, they produced a child. And, and Nathan came to David and said, the Lord's going to forgive you, but because of your great sin, that child that you have from Bathsheba is going to die. And of course, David fasts and prays for the child, and ultimately, he receives the news that the child dies. And David makes this statement in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. But now he is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And we believe, again, that these children, if there's silver lining in abortion, though we abhor abortion, that we believe those, these aborted babies are in heaven today and are thankful at least for that. So Solomon is contrasting the fact that this, this baby, which is stillborn, is in heaven, but a person who has even a hundred children and they live a miserable life, and they, and, and they continue in this miserable life and ultimately probably die and go to hell, which is better in the big picture, in the end. An infant in heaven is a lot better than even a person who lives a long time, who ultimately dies and goes to hell. In the big picture, now, at the first, when you first see it, the horror, of course, of a, of a stillborn a child and the trauma and the difficulty of that. But then you see the big picture in the end, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 300 years from now, for eternity. Where's the difference? What's the difference? One's going to be in heaven, and one is not. And this person, of course, lives a horrible life. This, this family does not even love the father. They're just waiting for him to die. Warren Wiersbe says about this. He writes about the text, This family has merely wondered when the old man will die, and when he finally dies, they're only interested in reading of his will. They don't care about this guy because he lived such a miserable life, because he's such a miserable person. He has no goodness in his soul. He only cares about himself. He doesn't care about his family. He doesn't care about his kids. He only cares about his status and about himself. And so when it comes to the end of his life, his own kids say, I don't care about so much about you, Dad. I care about how much you're going to leave us in the end of your life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 6, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoyed no good, do not all go to the one place? Of course, the oldest person who lived in the Bible was Methuselah, who lived 969 years in Genesis chapter 5, verse 27. And the Bible says a person lives twice longer than this. You would think with, with more years is, is, is greater opportunity and, and greater to live. Well, to some people it would be. But this person, though he lived twice, lived a thousand years twice over, he enjoyed no good. He his life, though he had long life, and though he may have prospered outwardly, his life came to no good. So just because you have a long life doesn't always mean that long life is going to be profitable. So you and I cannot always determine how long we will live, but we can determine how much life we put in our years. We don't know how many years we're going to live, 
but we could put life in our, in our years. Solomon's point in all of this, he's basically saying you see two types of people. The first contender in the race has a bank full of, of money but no joy and satisfaction. The second contender, the second contestant, has a quiver, a quiver full but no love for what's good in life. Both are pedaling fast. They're breaking the rules. They're doing it their way. They think they're going to win by having stuff, by having family. But they're really not getting anywhere. It's kind of like that mouse in the trap that's pedaling, it's going as fast as he can, but he's really going nowhere. And these people are going nowhere. Nowhere. And dear friend, if we live to the philosophy of the world, have a whole lot of stuff. What, what just appears, make people think what just appears on the outward, that's all that matters. Live for the appearance. Oh, we have a nice family, we have a nice car, we have a nice house. Live for appearances, but there's nothing in eternal. You're living life the wrong way. It's not, the, it's not begins with the outside, it begins with the inside. The heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. True Christianity starts with what God is doing from the inside and then what he does from there, from the outside. These people look good outwardly, but their life was really nothing. Paul, of course, as we've been studying him on Sunday morning, his life was totally different. Remember, he was saved. And, now, and then he surrendered his life. This coming Sunday, we're talking about how he, how he served God specifically in, in his life. And God used him as a preacher, as a, as a spiritual parent in so many different areas of life. But he would say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It wasn't about appearances. It wasn't about how he looked to others. It wasn't about what people thought about him. His life was about Christ and what pleased the Lord. If that's how we would live our Christian life, what does God think about it is more important than what the person besides me think about it or my neighbor thinks about it or my friends on social media thinks about it. What does God think about it? But it all starts with a crucified life, living for him, not living for ourselves. Because we know Christ is the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. We enter into the Christian life through salvation. But it doesn't just end at salvation. Then we must surrender our life to Christ and then live a life of service for him. And it's not just a one-time decision, though it may start with that one-time decision. It's a daily walk and dying of self to live for Christ rather than living for ourselves. Because our flesh wants to live for itself, doesn't it? It wants to go its own way. And if you listen to your flesh, my friend, you'll, you'll wind up in a horrible place. That's why you have to say, Lord... Help me to live for you and die to myself. And that's why Paul could write, I die daily. Are you dying to what you want and living to what he wants? I promise you, before I met Pastor Boucher at that daily parlor at Bob Jones University, I never thought I'd be in Florida for almost 22 years. I thought... 
Well, I'll be in South Carolina or Tennessee or somewhere between Kentucky and South Carolina. I'll, I'll be up there, and that's kind of what we were thinking after graduation. I had no idea I'd be in Fort Myers for 18 years and now here in Gainesville for, for four years. I had no desire. Had no, had no plans of it. Didn't think a thought about it. But I couldn't ask for a better 22 years of my life by God putting me here. I had to do, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it the exact way. But God knew better than me. He knew better than me. I thought my life would be, oh, man, I'll stay up here and be a South Kakalakian Clemson fan all my life. <laughs> but God moved me down here to another orange place. Another orange place. The Gator place. <laughs> God has a plan. And dear friend, your, his plan is always better than your plan. If you'll just trust him. If you'll just trust him. This old Methodist preacher, Methodist circuit writing preacher, wrote these words many years ago. All my life long I had thirsted for a drink from some clear spring that I hoped would quench the burning of this thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfied my longings. Through his blood, I now am saved. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. What are we living for? What are we living for? That which you sip of and after you drink of it, it doesn't satisfy you come to that well, the well of the water which Christ provides. He gives that water which we drink of will never thirst again. What are we seeking after tonight? Father, I pray, God, that you would help us as we ponder these things, as we look at a man who's come to the end of his life. He's broken, and he's sharing things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he looks at the life of these people, and their lives are misery. Oh, God, help us not to follow after pace pearls. Help us not to, to long for things that will not satisfy, that will not help us, that will harm us, that will hurt us, that will destroy us. God, help us to live like your son, Jesus Christ, who gave up everything so that we could have everything. God, help us to live for him and die for ourselves with head bowed eyes closed tonight maybe that's a struggle that you're going through as the piano plays this evening maybe God has spoken to your heart maybe you've been tempted maybe you've been struggling maybe there's an area that you 